We have been spending the past few weeks here in July looking at some of the parables that Jesus has told us in the gospel according to Matthew. Two weeks ago, the lectionary gave us the parable about the sower that is sowing the seeds. Last week, it gave us the parable about the weeds and the wheat, and together we dreamed of miracles in which the wheat transformed the weeds. This week, the lectionary gives us six parables, with one of them even being explained. Ay, ay, ay. Well, I didn't chew off the entire big old bite, so we are looking at four of them this morning, and to be fair, the four of them that we are looking at this morning are essentially one-liners, as we just saw. They're not long stories or parables, but still, they are packed with quite a punch. I often have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Jesus' parables, as I'm sure some of you might as well. Sometimes I just want to say, Jesus, could you not have been just a little bit less cryptic in some of these? Maybe if you were a little clearer on these, we would be able to figure it all out. But who am I kidding? Jesus, when you are clear, we still have trouble figuring it out, so you probably had it better anyway. And that's the beauty of the parables, especially these short ones. They are more complex than what's on the surface. There is more to them than what meets the eye. These parables, they have layers. In the 2001 animated film, Shrek. Yes, 2001, Shrek is almost 20 years old. Shrek, who is an ogre, befriends a donkey played by Eddie Murphy, and that donkey is named Donkey. Creative, yes, a donkey named Donkey. Throughout the movie, Donkey finds that Shrek is not at all what Donkey expects of an ogre, and that Shrek is actually a lovable character with a huge heart. While the rare friends and ogre, Shrek, and Donkey, a donkey, are traveling in the first half of the movie, Donkey does a little bit of stereotyping of Shrek being an ogre when reflecting on a struggle that they had had in a previous scene. Donkey says, Shrek, why didn't you just pull some of that ogre stuff on him? You know, throttle him, lay siege to his fortress, grind his bones to make your bread. You know, the whole ogre trip. Shrek, a little frustrated, delicately denies this stereotype by explaining to Donkey that ogres are like onions. Onions have layers. Ogres have layers. Shrek politely telling him that there is more to Shrek being an ogre than Donkey thinks that there is. The same can be said here about the parables. Parables are like onions. Onions have layers. Parables have layers. Whenever we dig into a parable and peel back a layer of it, we find another layer but a layer that is a little different than the layer that came before it. 
precisely the time that we think we understand a parable completely, we can find yet another layer to it. If we choose to look at these parables only as they appear on the surface, we can often find simple meanings when Jesus is saying much, much more. On the surface, the mustard seeds are simply showing that the kingdom of heaven grows much bigger than one expects. On the surface, the yeast shows that only a little bit of the kingdom of heaven goes a long way. On the surface, the treasure and the pearl show that the kingdom of heaven is precious and worth all of our things and desires. Where these can be and are helpful interpretations of these parables, the more we peel back the layers, we find more. Just like Donkey found Shrek to be different than the ogre that he expected him to be, we find that Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of heaven is nothing like what we think in our heads that it would be. The mustard seed. The smallest of all seeds, as Jesus describes it, has a little more depth to the hearers than the surface seems to bring it. We need to peel back a layer, which mustard seed would be hard to peel back a layer on because it's so small. But yes, it is a seed that grows much more than the smallness of seed would seem to bring it. But to Jesus' hearers, who are more familiar with the mustard seed and mustard plant than we are, they know that the plant that it produces is an uncontrollable, disruptive, overcrowding weed. Most of us who are not accustomed to seeing a mustard plant in our day-to-day -day lives might need a different illustration to understand the depths and layers of the mustard seed parable. Many scholars in our time have made a simple parallel to this parable. It goes like this. The kingdom of heaven is like kudzu. Kudzu. That sounds a little different now. Kudzu, as we see often in our area, was introduced in America over a century ago. It was advertised to farmers as being good to stop soil erosion, and so many farmers were encouraged to plant it, perhaps even subsidized in some areas. As the vine was planted, it was quickly discovered that there was no stopping it. It grew so quickly and spread so quickly. It is spread across the southeast. It lines interstates, roads, walls, fence lines, buildings, you name it. Sarah Beth and I have kudzu lining the wall of our porch and some of other places around our house. A while back, one of our church members, Brad Norris, was helping me with a landscaping project in, in our backyard. I noticed a spot on the wall where there was a kudzu vine growing from the very, very, very base of the wall all the way up to the roof. And the day before, it had not been there, I swear it. I turned to Brad and I said, I need to cut that down. And Brad responded, you could, and then you'll cut it down again in a few days, and then you'll cut it down in a few days after that, and a few days after that, and it will keep coming back. Unstoppable, uncontrollable, unexpected kudzu, mustard plants. If a sower went out to sow some seeds, perhaps orderly lines of wheat, grape, 
fruit or vegetables, with plans of planting them and feeding their family in an efficient and organized manner, and a single mustard seed gets in their handful of seeds, then all order, efficiency, and plan is disrupted. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It enters our lives in small ways and grows uncontrollably. Despite the order of our lives and the ways that we attempt to control them, the kingdom of heaven is not what we would expect it to be. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Once again, on the surface, we think of the kingdom of heaven is simply this little amount of yeast that makes a huge impact in a lot of flour to make bread. But then, once again, we peel back this surface layer. We see, once again, Jesus is telling us much, much more. Where we are rather accustomed to the presence of yeast or leaven in our bread, in the culture Jesus is speaking into, yeast is often associated with corruption, and deceit. Yeast is unsettling and makes Jesus' hearers uneasy. Exodus chapter 12, 15 says, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, bread without yeast. On the first day you shall remove leaven or yeast from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day shall be cut off from Israel. Yeast doesn't simply get you in trouble or make you unclean. It gets you entirely cut off from the community. Later, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 6, Jesus says, watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Beware of the corruption of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So, when Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast, oh, that makes people a little uncomfortable. Not to mention, he just got done calling the kingdom of heaven an overcrowding, aggressive, and uncontrollable plant. Now the kingdom of heaven is a leavening agent that symbolizes corrupting influences in the culture. This is a bit of a pungent layer of that onion that is this parable, but perhaps there is even more to it. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. As measures is not a measurement of flour that we are particularly familiar with, the scholarly estimation is that it is over 50 pounds of flour that would make bread that could feed over 100 people. Another added layer. The kingdom of heaven is what appears to be corrupt, but feeds a ton of people. Well, the leadership of the day, they thought that Jesus was corrupting the people. And Jesus does feed a ton of people, 
maybe 5,000 of them from time to time. Or if yeasts get you entirely cut off from the community, maybe that is where the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is with those who are cast out, those that are in the margins. Maybe the kingdom of heaven is in the outcast that is serving a friend or enemy bread, mustard, and yeast, the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus. They are not exactly what we would think them to be. Jesus' next parable comes in, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The surface level, the man discovers the kingdom of heaven as a treasure and does all that he can to secure it. Though, once again, there seems to be a little more at work here in this parable that Jesus is telling. Jesus showing us once again that our idea of where God is and is not present in our world may be a little off. Although potentially unclear, the man that finds the treasure finds it in someone else's field. What's he doing in that field? Even if the man was allowed in the field, it is at least ethically questionable as to the man hiding the treasure and buying the field at a rate he could afford solely for the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. But perhaps this is what Jesus is telling us in this onion layer of the parable. It does not matter what we have come from or how we got there. It does not matter what we have done. It does not matter if we are a criminal or a moral perfectionist. When we find the kingdom of heaven, even in its unexpected ways, we just need to put all behind us for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of the kingdom of heaven and pursue it. It does not stop simply at our wrongdoings that we should put behind us in search of the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't mean simply our hang-ups, the things that cause us to make hiccups in life. It is all of the ways in which we get caught up in this world that we need to sell to purchase the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. The worries that cause us to worry, the pains that give us pain, the evil that causes our own evil doing, the way in which we throw yeast on people and make them outcasts our wants and desires that keep us from seeking the kingdom of heaven with all that we have, the things that keep us from giving a child a cold cup of water, the things that keep us from sowing seeds in the kingdom, the things that keep us from smiling at everyday miracles of weeds transforming into wheat. We can always put a little more of this world behind us as we seek the kingdom of heaven. We can always move a little closer to possessing and desiring nothing of this world outside of that treasure of the kingdom of heaven, selling all that we have to seek it. In the fourth and final 
parable of our reading today. The parable of the treasure hidden in the field that we just talked about is flipped. This time, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. This time, the kingdom of heaven is not like the treasure as it was before, but it is like the one seeking the treasure, which rounds out these four parables in an interesting way. Perhaps this time, when we peel back the onion layers of this parable, it's not that we are seeking the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom of heaven is searching for us. Perhaps we are the fine pearl and the kingdom of heaven is willing to do anything to gain us and redeem us, even become an outcast and die on a cross. If I am being honest, I've spent the past few weeks looking at this passage frustrated a little bit with the lectionary for piling all of these parables together into one reading. But after all the wrestling that can be done with these parables and all of the onion layers that can be peeled back and searching through them, I am oddly thankful for the arrangement that I had originally been quite frustrated by. These parables with their onion layers marinating together show how the kingdom of heaven is not of this world or what we would expect of this world or what we think of this world. Though it is not of this world, we should still help usher it in. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These parables show us that the kingdom of heaven does not align with our worldview. Here, Jesus does not say that the kingdom of heaven is like things that would make sense of us. The kingdom of heaven is not said to be like a giant oak tree or delicious and aromatic spices but it is like mustard and yeast. The kingdom is something that we are to seek with a willingness to give up all other things. And the kingdom is also something that seeks us with willingness to die on a cross. Sometimes I feel that we have made seeking the kingdom of heaven in this world too easy and too worldly. If you walk this way, if you talk this way, if you think that way, if you vote this way, if you hang out with this group of people, then that is how you get to the kingdom of heaven. But even in that, we are mistaken. We don't need to follow a checklist to get to the kingdom of heaven, for God is bringing it here, and it will spread like mustard and kudzu interrupting the order of our lives in the most beautiful way. It is evident in the margins where the people that have been cast out like yeast are. We just have to put the kingdoms of this world behind and find that we are already redeemed. Our minds and the way we see the world have a hard time seeing the kingdom the way it is, but that is okay. No one said this was going to be easy. 
The Gospels reveal that we follow a king whose throne is not in a palace, but whose throne was a cross. Revelation reveals that in the kingdom of heaven, God's people experience resurrection through the victory of not just a lamb, but a slain lamb, scoring victory over the multi-headed beast of Babylon and empire. The cross, the slain lamb, mustard, kudzu, yeast. It does not make sense by the standards of this world, but that's why we are called to be kingdom people. I was reading a reflection by the president of Austin Theological Seminary, Theodore Wordlaw, this week. He was reflecting upon an interview that he remembered from one of my favorite theologians, the Archbishop Desmond Tutu. The interview came during the 1980s when the South African apartheid and racial injustice in South Africa was quite strong, possibly at its peak, and Archbishop Desmond Tutu's activism that led him to a Nobel Peace Prize en route to helping end the apartheid was also at its peak. In the interview, the Archbishop engaged a common quote of the time, one that's often attributed to him, though I don't believe that it is, when he said, when the white people arrived in South Africa, we had the land and they had the Bible. They said, let us pray. When we opened our eyes, they had the land and we had the Bible. That's when Archbishop Tutu added something to that popular saying that was so, so powerful. The Archbishop added, and we got the better end of the deal. When they arrived in South Africa, we had the land and they had the Bible. They said, let us pray. When we opened our eyes, they had the land and we had the Bible. And we got the better of the deal. Few things are so true. These kingdom parables show us that the desires of this world are not as important as we think they are. Land, money, and power don't compare to the mustard, kudzu, yeast, pearl, and hidden treasure in the field. We can let the things of this world go and put them behind us, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Resurrection is near. Salvation is here. Even in a global pandemic, that is good news. And that brings us hope. To the glory of God. Amen.